Welcome to Zero Knowledge, a podcast where we talk about the latest in zero knowledge research and the decentralized web. The show is hosted by me, Anna. And me, Frederick. All right, we made it. Two thousand end of 2019. Yeah, it's it's been a big year. Uh Weird to think about. You all may have noticed we have a new jingle. Um, it's similar to our older jingle, but we've been meaning for a while to just create a much shorter version of this. And I hope you like it. I, I'm, I hear that changing the intro music to a podcast can be very controversial. So I, I would love to hear what people think and hope you'll let us know if you do like it. Uh, thanks to Henrik, who put that together. He's the original composer on our music, uh, and he's also somebody who does video work at the summit. And uh, yeah, he's really, really good. So for this episode, what our idea is, is to do a little bit of a wrap-up of 2019. We can talk a little bit about the podcast itself, something we don't usually do on this podcast, and uh, share a few ideas about what we're excited about in 2020, what we're doing in 2020. Uh, there's a lot of things on the horizon that we want to share. And so, yeah, I'm kind of excited to do this episode with you. Yeah, it'll be interesting. It, like I said, it's it's been a big year and there's a lot to look forward to in 2020. So I think uh, let's dive into it and, and talk about what has happened and, and what will happen. So how about as a start, let's talk about the podcast itself. So just a little recap on what's happened with the podcast. Um, something that you know, we've noticed over the past few months is a shift from being maybe more of a blockchain focused podcast where we would like explore ecosystems or the blockchain 101 topics. And we we've moved towards the zero knowledge research side of things. And that is one of the reasons why we've, you know, just changed the intro text as well to better reflect that. I think what's cool is that that happened really naturally. When we started this podcast, there just wasn't that much zero-knowledge topic stuff to talk about that we thought would be interesting for a large audience. Yeah, and I mean, we've we've said this before, but the title of the podcast itself is sort of just a joke. And there was not really <laughs> an intention to be zero-knowledge proof focused. But in some parts, because of the title, we, we started moving more towards that. And I'm very happy we have because it's it's a very interesting topic. Uh, I think what we might be able to talk about now is a little bit of like what happened with the podcast this year. What were some of the guests that came on? You know, what did we tackle? So, Frederick, I want to ask you first, what if you could pick like, I don't know, two, three podcasts from the year that really stand out to you? What would those be? Yeah, it's interesting because like there's something that's obviously like personally interesting to me. Which I mean, if I if I had to hi highlight that and highlight just the people rather than necessarily what we talked about, it would be Dan Bonet and Nigel Smart. It's just refreshing to see like really hardcore crypto people. It's like I've been working on this for thirty years, and like these are the lessons, and I that that those are fascinating conversations to me. Um, but if we just look at what what's been popular, I mean, Sean Bo has obviously been popular. He, 
I would put him in the hardcore cryptography crowd, even though he hasn't been working with it for 30 years. Although he's been working with it for a while. Just he's not as that. He's not coming yeah, from academia, really. But I don't think he, uh, I'm not even sure if he is 30 years old. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> but he's also like a person that's in between that, in between these two worlds where he for sure like knows his foundational stuff. He knows crypto but um, also knows the, the new world and the, the decentralized world and how to apply all this stuff. So that's, I think that was a fascinating mm. conversation too. Um, what what other, otherwise has been popular among people is obviously DeFi and ETH2 and um, like basically talking about what people believe will be coming in the next couple of years. Um, and... I I'm really interested and fascinated by that, but because that's also like my day job, I don't get out, as much out of it personally. <laughs> I like the episodes where I'm stepping out outside. of my day job. Yeah. <laughs> well, since this is, I mean, zero knowledge podcast, zero knowledge summit, I'm you know the projects I do around zero knowledge have become my full time job in the last year. Um, a lot of the zero knowledge topics were very interesting to me. If I was to highlight a few episodes, I would also put Dan Bonet in there. I thought my the episode that I did with Ellie Ben Sasson, we we had Starkware on early on in the year, and then we had them again. Or I had I, I did an interview with Ellie in when was that September? Personally, I loved that interview because he kind of was able to share why math is exciting for him. Like as a non-mathematician, I don't know exactly what I expected, but I didn't expect such, such a cool picture to be painted. So I really liked that episode. Um, I really liked, I really liked the Sean Bow episode as well, because I thought it was a combo of like intense math, but then also that story of like what happens when you discover that like in math that you've worked on or, you know, something that you find incredibly valuable that's based on math actually has a vulnerability. What do you do? What do you go through? So I thought that was cool. It seems to be these, these stories that combine math and emotion that I like a lot. Um, yeah. I also really liked, so I, another one that I really liked doing uh, was the post DevCon catch up with Tarun James and Georgios. Those are, those are three people. I think James I met in 2018, but Tarun and Georgios are people that I've kind of come into contact more this year. And I really liked that conversation. I liked hearing those perspectives. So that was also another highlight for me. I think one thing that I wanted to talk about is like people did notice, like there's a few episodes that I just mentioned where Frederick, you weren't on there. And I thought it might be good to share with the audience why you weren't on those episodes. Yeah. Because they were curious. Yeah. And so I, it, there's, uh, you know, a lot of changes in 2019 for me. I mean, first and foremost, probably I've, I've become a father and uh, yeah. have a little girl and, and that is taking up all evenings at least. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, it makes it a little bit harder to find recording times and everything else. And we did our best to kind of keep it as smooth as possible. Like you still were able to come on a few of these episodes. And I just want to say thanks for doing that because I know it was, it was a lot of juggling at that time. Yeah, it still is to some degree. Like this is uh, an ongoing process for the next 18 years. So we'll see how that goes. But um, I mean, there's obviously a lot of other changes in 2019 too. I think um, it's, it's 
like my role, my day job has changed quite a lot. Um, as Polkadot gets closer to launch, it's always obviously busier times as well. Um, but it's also like generally more, more busy for a variety of reasons. Um, so even though I don't have an, as much time for the podcast as I used to for, for several of these reasons, um, so I think I've learned a ton over the converse, of these conversations over the past year. And especially as my time gets scarcer, I also get less time to do things like read papers or look at Reddit and get caught up on the latest project. So for me, this, this podcast is also a large opportunity to, to learn new stuff and what's out there. Yeah, as long I, as I, I do that, then uh, I'm, I'm always game. I think for me, it's less about bringing info to me and more like a pretty proactive exploration. I mean, I just, I didn't study math. So like, I'm actually, I'm maybe interested. I think for you, you're learning like new paradigms. For me, I'm like learning an entirely new space, including like the personalities that live in that space and how people interact and how industry and academia interacts. There's like a lot of very cool insights that I'm getting from, from doing this. So yeah, maybe just to wrap this up, there was, you know, I kind of said this at the summit, at the last year knowledge summit, but originally we had this podcast being like 95% blockchain, maybe 5% zero knowledge topics. I'd say it's now moved to about 60% zero knowledge topics and 40% non-zero knowledge topics. Um, I'd love to, in the new year, also start exploring things like like other computer science concepts that could be applied in this space, but with people who might actually be a little bit outside it. Because I feel like every time we've taken steps out, I've gotten far more insight into where it lives in the larger, um, on the larger map of like technology. And that's been helpful to, you know, to kind of keep certain ideas in check or like to understand like, certain things are revolutionary and certain things are actually repetitions or, you know, old problems that have been solved before. And there might be some good insights to take from those previous um, examples. Yeah. I think um, for me, I would want to move more towards cryptography and privacy in, in general and sort of the focus being decentralization more than like blockchain because I mean, even at Parity, we say that we work on Web3 technologies, not blockchain technologies, um, because there's there's a lot more that is interesting than just blockchains. And um, expanding to other areas of computer science, cryptography fits perfectly in that. Uh, so I think that's, that's a good way to go. And I, I agree, yeah. like, uh, the more you expand outside, you, you also learn where something is coming from. I think it has also helped... Um, improve like my bullshit meter is that what you call it like pick like seeing you know you often will hear projects presenting something as like totally new so exciting but if you can understand what their the problem is and the larger context of that problem you sometimes realize that like a the solution may have already existed and is more ported from somewhere else or b the solution presented isn't that good <laughs> and has actually been disproven previously. 
And so this, I think, is very common in like, a, you know, an emerging technology space. There's, there's been a boom. There's a lot of cool ideas. But yeah, I, I've really enjoyed being able to see through some of those things. Yeah, I think that's an interesting uh, side effect, too, of not there isn't enough knowledge share in this industry of decentralization. <laughs> so sometimes you go read a paper and, and they present a completely new novel way to secure a sidechain or whatever, you know, whatever the thing is. And I read it and I go, well, that's just this thing. And I don't blame the the authors because probably they didn't know about this thing. Uh, but mm -hmm. it's 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 kind of interesting to see how this kind of lack of information flow to some degree is also causing some of these problems of people reinventing the same things over and over again. I do hope I actually hope one of the things I do like about making this a podcast and not just like a personal interview, because like we could have gone around and just interviewed over 100 people for kicks. But I think the fact that we share it is cool because then hopefully other people can also hear some of that. And anyone who's come along for a while with us and has, has basically learned with us, you might like they're also going to be able to take some of these insights and maybe be able to see through some of these, you know, less than uh, inspiring proposals. Yeah. All right. What's the coolest thing? This is a question for you. What's the coolest thing do you think in terms of like tech that you've seen emerge this year? And this can be zero knowledge or anything. Well, anything decentralized. Let's not go crazy. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I don't want to hear it's like, oh, it's foldable phones. The, the cyber <laughs> <Exactly>. truck. <laughs> <laughs> Your um, example was so much better than mine. Oh, my God. <laughs> Um, the coolest thing, I mean, I, I think even though I don't think it's actually practically usable yet to, to a large degree, all of the insane innovation around both trustless, um, zero knowledge proof structures, like, um, uh, by trustless, I mean, it doesn't require a trusted setup, um, and, these universal trusted setups i think those two spaces have moved forward so fast and it's really cool like mm -hmm. if we actually have a really good universal trusted setup that like the whole world participates in running and we all you know get our common reference strings from this one thing <laughs> then uh that would be pretty like it solves a lot of problems uh, but even like in, on the flip side of that, if we move fast enough in the non-trusted setup space, then maybe we don't need it at all and we can do amazing things without having that uh, overhead. Um, so sort of seeing these two worlds battle it out kind of for top spot and most practical solution <laughs> is uh, is interesting. And the reason I say it's probably not usable yet is like we we don't actually know what it is. We don't know how usable it is. We like these proofs haven't really stood the test of time and, and implementation yet. So it sort of remains to be seen how viable they are. But it's really cool tech, and it's cool that it's been moving so fast. I wonder. It's so funny because like I feel like we're so deep in the zero knowledge space. But is there anything outside of zero knowledge that's like exciting to you? For me um 2019 has just been a year of implementation like in the blockchain space at least where 
I haven't seen any major new stuff come out. Like ETH2 settled its roadmap, no new research. It's just been like trying to get to something that works. Um, for for parity, we've just been heads down working on stuff. We haven't really been inventing new stuff all year. Uh, just trying to implement and get to a launch. Um, and that's sort of what I see from most other projects as well. It's just like trucking along, trying to write the code necessary. Um, so in a weird way, like I don't see much innovation from industry this year and I see mm. much more of the innovation from academia because they're, they're not burdened by implementation. <laughs> it sort of seems like there was this early period where people could just, you know, really focus on the research and big ideas kind of brainstorming, but now it's really a time where people have to deliver. Yeah. Yeah. Cool. So the things that I saw happen in 2019 in the zero knowledge space, whew. So what I want to talk about next is the different use cases and stuff like that. But there were some fantastic um, improvements and new protocols released this year. So one protocol that actually I think has really redefined the way we think about it, and you just mentioned it, Frederick, was Sonics. So Sonics provides this universal trusted setup concept. And from Sonics, we've seen the, you know, development of kind of improvement protocols like Plonk and Marlin and something new that I think Justin just released called Slonk. And so I guess we're going to get variations on these words like also Turbo Plonk and all sorts of things like that. Um, we've also seen the concept of supersonics, darks, I think that's another word for it, and also what uh, Sean Bowe's doing at ha with Halo. There was a protocol called Fractals, which I have not really explored enough. I have to say, Zexy has been used, or pieces of Zexy have been used in these really novel ways by different projects. And so I think, even though Zexy, I think, I believe came out in 2018, also something worth paying attention to. Starks released their deep fry protocol, which is like their fry is a mechanism that they use to get, uh, what is it? It's like to get the polynomial into a form that Starks can use. And deep fry is an, is a, an improvement on that. But yeah, for me, I think the big highlight was the emergence of a number of new use cases. So we are very familiar with zero knowledge for privacy, but now we actually see some like live examples of zero knowledge proofs for scaling or some sort of compression. Um, we also see zero knowledge proofs acting as replacing verification certif or certification in certain setups. And we're also seeing a very emerging space, which is like zero knowledge proofs for interoperability. So this is kind of like a place that, you know, we've been doing some brainstorming about. All right. So, I mean, zero knowledge proofs for privacy, I think the biggest things would be mixers and, you know, the, like the upgrades in Zcash, what they've been working on. It's a lot of optimization, but also, you know, super, super exciting. Um, actually, I guess a side note, like something that did occur this year was the findings that the original Zcash setup hadn't been as secure as originally thought of. And I think maybe this makes people think a little bit deeper about zero knowledge proofs for privacy um, and sort of maybe highlighted that like, even though this is very exciting, there's still some uncharted territory and some unknowns. Yeah. Um, yeah. With the ZK mixers, Tornado Cash, I believe is a zero knowledge proof mixer 
I remember with Howard Wu, we did a presentation at Web3, and through that I actually learned some of the issues of doing mixers on Ethereum where there's still some ways for the, the participants to be kind of identified, at least sort of on the on and off ramp of the mixer itself, but, but still very interesting work. All right, a second one was zero-knowledge proof for scaling. So this, I think the most exciting, the most well-known example of this would be the ZK roll-up. Uh, construction, which is something that um, Barry Whitehat and the Matter Labs guys have been working a lot on. I heard that like Loopring, I think, just released an actual live version of this. We actually had Matter Labs on at some point to speak about it. So this was really cool. But this idea of zero knowledge proofs for scaling, you can also see this in, you know, what Starkware is doing, pushing the use of Starks in order to provide this validity proof uh, in a DEX context. So in these cases, actually, it doesn't matter whether or not the data, the underlying data is private. In fact, it might actually be optimal for that to be auditable. The idea here is more that in the check-in points with the main chain, the zero-knowledge proof replaces a plasma-like structure. It, like, it just proves that the data underneath is correct and unchangeable after it's been, yeah, proven. And, and when, you, when you really think of like this compression side of things, um, I think some of the work that Filecoin has been exploring, we talked with Ariel Gabizon and Juan Benet this year about that. Uh, and I'll link to all of these episodes in the show notes if you want to find out more. And there's also Coda. Coda's doing recursive, recursive zero-knowledge proofs, recursive ZK snarks. So then on the sort of enterprise level or like the, I don't know, the, the real world use cases, this idea of zero-knowledge proofs as providing verification or certification has emerged, at least to me, as like a big use case. So one cool property of zero-knowledge proofs is that they actually can provide something called selective disclosure. So that means they can disclose, you know, a property of a secret without other features of a secret. In the example that we talked about on the Kedit episode, it was something like, like say airplanes are being checked and every airplane needs to have a certain check happen and certain characteristics need to have been satisfied, you could potentially run a proof proving that those conditions had been satisfied but not reveal any other information about what that plane is, where it's been, the models, the place, etc. And normally you'd you know, probably be using a third-party certification entity and here you could actually do it just with a zero-knowledge proof. I find that really interesting. Of course, these are these do still seem very much in like brainstorming phase. Um, also, with our episode that we did with Centrifuge, we used uh, there. They're also exploring using zero knowledge proofs for verification or certification. So those are two episodes you can listen to that go a bit deeper into that. But that was very cool. And yeah, and the last example that I sort of mentioned before was the zero knowledge proofs for interoperability. So super emerging. And, and really, in this case, you see zero knowledge proofs being used in all these different ways to provide interoperability or help provide interoperability, I should say, really. It's not that they're the, the main driver. It's more like optimizations through using zero knowledge proofs. My favorite example of this was... Um, the Cello lightest light client where they use zero knowledge proofs. They, they do recursive layer one recursion, zero knowledge proofs in order to create a lighter light client, which could, I think in their, for what they want to do, they want it to run on mobile or something. It's interesting because like, it's a very small part of Cello's larger offering, but 
I really liked that. I, I liked that little finding, and I thought it was such a novel, new use case. I would say we're going to see much more of that in 2020 as people get better understanding of zero-knowledge proofs. Like, it's the, the whole ZK space, when we talk about blockchain and decentralization, has been very focused on privacy. But there is this other scalability aspect of it that isn't touched on as often. And then in the cell case, it's purely a, a scalability thing. And it's um, it has a, this other interesting property of if it fails, it's not a critical failure. There's a fallback. Hmm. Um, and the fallback is what the world looks like today. So it's it's just purely okay. an, an improvement. Um Whereas, so I think there's there's many other of these cases. There's ZK Sync that's proposed now where like kind of a similar idea of using zero-knowledge proofs to scale the syncing process. Um, you could basically send someone in, an entire state tree and then prove that that is the correct state tree to, to have at this height of the blockchain. And um, you don't need to do anything else. You don't need to process all of the blocks to, to sync or do whatever else. And um, yeah, I think there, there's a um, lot of fascinating like smaller applications where you use it as part of a protocol, either for privacy or for scalability and where, where the failure mode is not, you know, the whole world burns down, but the failure mode is, yeah, we fall back to this other strategy. I mean, I'd love to live in a world, I'd like to see a world where zero-knowledge proofs do power a lot of very important and like large-scale projects past blockchain. I think that would be so yeah. cool. But I also, like what it feels like right now is there's just so much research and there's so few people who know how to read this research that like vetting of this research is still a work in progress. And I think, think certain things aren't quite ready for for mainstream adoption yeah and that's sort of what i was um saying earlier as well is like because it hasn't seen the test of time and implementation yet really i personally wouldn't really rely on it as as a thing that's definitely gonna work um, people should still build stuff with it people should still experiment but it's um it's hard to say that like no th this is like the thing and it's you should build a mm -hmm. blockchain you know kind of zcash like right where your entire token depends on this proof being correct. And if it's not, then your token is worthless. Um, and, and sort of um, going to that level, I'd only be comfortable doing that with the existing construction that Zcash has now. <laughs> like I wouldn't use any of these new ones to build a blockchain with right now. Uh, it feels a bit too risky. That's interesting. I was actually just a thing where it's like, you, there's a certain baseline, like, the protocols that have been around long enough, used enough, those are sort of the things that are more likely to be recommended for these cases. Before The, the more experimental stuff, while cool, you kind of keep, you keep an eye on, but don't necessarily share um, or don't necessarily put into action. Actually, something else that's been cool is like the Ethereum Foundation's focus on zero knowledge stuff. Like they have a whole team focused on this stuff, which has been really nice to interact with that as well. I'm still, I'm still not totally clear on how the, how zero knowledge will work internally to Ethereum. I know how like projects are working with Ethereum and zero knowledge, but um, that's going to be interesting to see how that gets incorporated. Yeah. yeah I don't know either. I, I assume it's just sort of speculative kind of going 
we think or like this is an interesting research space we should try to do something here or like try to dig in to see what can be used here for the for the protocol itself all right so what in 2019 do you think fell flat i don't know actually so i can tell you what annoyed me i don't know if i'd say fell flat and I know this is going to make me very unpopular, but I have already tweeted it. Memes are boring. <laughs> there, I said it. Okay. Yeah. Now, maybe I should add some context. Obviously, memes are funny and memes are fun and being fun is awesome. And I totally like that. I think, though, sometimes if you look on Twitter and you look at some of the kind of meme work, it's so, it's just so noisy and it's so distracting um, and it's repetitive yeah. and not, they're not actually not trying to come smart. up with original jokes. It's just the same stuff. Yeah. And sometimes it feels like you're laughing <laughs> in that way that like, it's kind of forced. You're like, <laughs> I don't like that. I don't know. I don't want to, I don't really want to, I don't want to rain on anyone's parade. I keep having fun. Let's try to be a little more creative. Yeah. I don't know. And I, I know what you mean. Um, it's like we've we've um, devolved into only having this one form of expression, and exactly. it's like we can do other stuff too. We can be funny yeah. in other ways too. And it's <laughs> like yeah, yeah. I think it's also the problem that I see is in part also it's just used as a tool to attack without like with having that kind of ability to go back and say oh it's, it was just a joke. It's like, yeah. yeah, but you're still attacking someone. It's like it's funny because I think what we're both actually talking about are gifts. <laughs> like I don't even know if it's actually memes particularly, yeah. but like specifically gifts. It's like I actually have never been a huge fan. I'm gonna keep saying gift too. I know it's wrong, but too I say bad. gift too, actually. Yeah. <laughs> it's English. Uh okay, another thing. I'm curious to hear what you think about DeFi. And the branding of DeFi, I think, did it really, it definitely took off this year. I don't know if it was named this year. I'd be curious to hear who came up with that. DeFi. Yeah, I don't know. I mean, it's a super easy contraction. Decentralized finance is DeFi. Like, it's easy. <laughs> yeah. But I don't know if anyone can, can claim they invented that term. I've recently heard someone refer to it as DeFi, which... <laughs> it was very strange yeah. anyway yeah what do you think of DeFi? yeah i mean i i wouldn't say it fell flat but it's definitely um hyped to a weird degree and in a weird way where people are like oh yeah DeFi is the coolest shit and now we have 160 million dollars locked in this contract it's like why is that a good thing like what have you gotten out of that what's the point of all of this it's sort of like you know, a regular average Joe hyping up what uh, Wall Street company is doing. It's like, why do you care? Like, yeah. why does this affect you? So, so like, I, I think DeFi is super important. Like, a stable coin is a foundational thing to have a currency in, in a blockchain, I think. Like, there may be other constructions in the future, but there are many aspects of DeFi that I think are critical to this ecosystem. But not in and of themselves. It's not, oh, now we have this and everything is great. Like you also need 
everything else on top. You need people using it. Like it's just it's just a tool. And we shouldn't hype up like just the tool. Like we should do something with the tool. <laughs> mm-hmm. I also, I was surprised when, like, in the exploration of DeFi, how simple a lot of these constructions are when you really look at them. They're, they're, they're not super sophisticated financial constructions. No, by no means. And there's no, like, super innovative, uh, you know, kind of reputation marketplace ideas being implemented or anything like that. It's just over collateralization yeah. and done. a lot of, <laughs> and even like a lot of these. The ideas, they're kind of re they're they're rebranded using different language, but a lot of the concepts are from the seventies. Like they're economic yeah, con- yeah. concepts from a certain moment in the development of the stock market and in the moment of finan- the financial industry. These ideas were being floated and tested, and now they're sort of being ported from that old finance to today's blockchain. Yeah, absolutely. It's 100% porting existing financial instruments to a blockchain context. Yeah. It's funny because I thought of like during the ICO time, you had scams that were taken from the 1890s at the beginning of stock market when it was completely like unregulated and ported to today in the ICO boom. And now we're seeing sort of 1970s being ported to DeFi. So maybe the next cool term that comes out will reflect something from the 90s. Yeah. <laughs> I don't think we're right up to date yet. <laughs> no, I don't think so either. But All right. Let's talk a little bit about 2020. What do you see on the horizon? I know for you there is mega things coming. Yeah, Polkadot launch is the front and center of my 2020. That will be an interesting process. I mean, we've learned quite a lot from launching Kusama and like what uh, the sort of launch milestones will look like and what the process looks like and how to make this um, a good experience. Uh, So like taking a lot of those lessons and applying them as we start launching Polkadot now very soon. Um, so this is all like very internally focused and, and like, for me, it's also like not only launch, but building a company and kind of scaling a team and, and a bunch of other stuff. Like as you start having something in production and launching something, there's a whole other set of requirements too. You can't just be sort of coding. You need to be running stuff. You need to have um pager duty and, and all of these other things that the the company hasn't previously been been set up to do and so um there's a lot of change just company structure wise um ideally in a, in a decentralized world none of this exists in the company and it's a community driven effort but i don't think we're there yet um so it's sort of building up structures to to tie it over until we can get to that point with the community but otherwise, I mean, I'm, I'm really looking forward to the Stanford Blockchain Conference. And, and that's always a highlight in my year. I think it's a great conference that, that is like picking the cream of the crop in terms of like papers presented and, and new concepts. Um, and then I'm looking forward to see how like there's it's not only Polkadot launching. There's a ton of different projects launching. I'm super excited to see how that turns out, which ones can launch, which ones can't. Um, All of this knowledge stuff that we've been talking about that has come out is going to start getting proven, start getting put into systems and like, how is that going to pan out? 
I'm really excited to see, like we had this episode with Nigel Smart that I mentioned, and he was talking about all these new MPC constructions. I wonder if MPC is going to start becoming a bigger thing in blockchain. Like so far we've, you know, used zero knowledge proofs for privacy, but we can use MPCs for privacy too. And, and like they are getting more and more powerful as well. So, you know, will they start competing? Mm. Uh, I don't know. There, there's a lot of interesting stuff there for sure. So what about, there's one kind of thing that just came out this month and was somewhat controversial. How do, like how does open Ethereum factor into your 2020? What are you thinking on that level? Yeah, it, it's interesting to me that it got so controversial because it's sort of, we're, we're really just saying we've been working on this code base for a long time as a sole contributor, essentially. We have gotten a lot of individual contributors kind of joining on a flyby basis but we never really managed to amass like a a real contributor base to the code base so it's really largely been the company responsible for maintenance of the what used to be the parity ethereum clients and it's obviously not going to work like that it's it's um sort of like it's it's unsustainable it's on yeah it's not sustainable um and and to me this is completely obvious right we kind of went back like this is several months ago when we started planning this we kind of said what can we do to make sure that this code base lives forever that that we can try to make it a thing where multiple companies or multiple you know entities contribute to this code base and um, I wouldn't say that we've completely settled on a path forward, um, but we put out this blog post saying there might be some sort of DAO involved for either incentivization or at the very least just to manage the license because that's a, a controversial thing too that a lot of people don't like GPL for some reason and they want something else, um, which is also odd to me because we live in this open source blockchain world where everything is open and free why is free software a bad thing all of a sudden so i don't know that that's like a whole secondary weirdness to me why people oppose free software so we we kind of just said okay we're gonna do some kind of structure and we're gonna try to bring in more contributors in a more organized fashion so we'll move the code base out we'll change the license we'll um, try to actually get all of these other contributors like ETC, like Gnosis, like POA, like um, people who are willing to dedicate engineers and try to get them onboarded onto the code base and, um, and try to make that happen as open Ethereum. And um, people really hated that, <laughs> mostly because it's there. The, I can sort of understand it because the general impression is that Parity got a bunch of money to maintain this client, and now we're saying we're not going to do it anymore. People just don't have a concept of time scale and how much things actually cost. Um, but I think that's. I, I think if we're successful, that will blow over, and if we're not successful, then the code base is sort of dead anyway, and it, all of this doesn't really matter. Um, so I. This is sort of the narrative that I can kind of see online, which is something a lot along the lines of like, there's old wounds in the original separation between parity and Ethereum. Parity built this amazing technology, maintained it for free, but maybe that wasn't necessarily clear to the, to anyone in the community also because this was during a time that price was increasing. So like people's personal fortunes were actually on the up. And so there was, you know, a sense like, who cares about how it's getting maintained or who cares about who pays for that? And then a few years later, 
EF does this grant. A lot of people seem to think that that was for ongoing development on ETH1. And I think Parity's perspective there is that it was not. And so this seems to be a little bit at the heart of some of the argumentation around like why Parity would walk yeah, away. For sure. Now. And that's like we've tried to address all these things in in at length <laughs> in various formats. Uh, and I but people <laughs> will see what they want to see. Um, but I think that's fine. So I mean going back to like what to do in 2020. The focus for me is like throughout Q1, try to onboard these new developers. Um, we roughly have like six devs um, that are are willing to, or like from different organizations that are willing to step up and say, okay, I'm going to work on this full time. Um, so on onboarding six devs is a not small task. Um, and this will, like moving the whole thing will take time too because we need to move CI, we need to move, release management and like figure out how to do all of these things in a way that it's not centrally managed by parity. Um, so there's a lot of, a lot of like work to do, um, to even get to a point where this lives in a different repo, um, let alone have a successful contributor base. Um, so I think this takes up at least all of Q1 and then we'll see in Q2, like how successful that is and where it goes from there. But I think um, you know this is hmm. a good a good portion of twenty twenty will be just trying to onboard new developers and making Open Ethereum a successful project that has a sustainable contributor base. And um, it's there's a lot of question too, like how would this work if there's still no real funding model? Well, there's actually like some thought put into how to create a funding model but even without that the organizations that are stepping up to the plate have a self-interest in seeing it maintained so someone like etc labs who runs etc etc is almost entirely dependent on on the parity ethereum client today um, it's obviously within their interest to see that open ethereum is a successful product for the etc community um, so it's sort of uh, driven by self-interest rather than monetary reward. Um, and they have other sources of income that they can pay developers with. Um, but, you know, this might still not be sustainable really long term. Uh, but uh, I think it's a step in the right direction, at least. It's definitely going to be, I mean, it's kind of new territory and and I think it's so specific to like the decentralized space, the need to do to to make these moves. Um, I don't know if you had any other models or anything you were thinking of in the construction of this. I mean, I I don't know any examples in the past of this setup. I mean, there's a lot of lessons to be learned from the general open source space. I mean, Linux is entirely a product maintained by companies with self interest, right? Um, it has its small individual contributors as well, but it, it's largely a multiple organization effort to make sure that Linux actually works. Um, but yeah, I mean, it. I don't think there's any real precedent in the blockchain space. It's sort of, you could argue that that Bitcoin is at least less centrally developed than something like there isn't a Bitcoin foundation with Bitcoin foundation paid developers <laughs> who are maintaining the software. Uh, so it's a little bit more 
multiple players, but it's still like maintained by people who got rich off Bitcoin. So mm. it's not like they need salaries. Um, and um, I don't know of any other blockchain that has gotten to the point that you know there are, there's a need to involve multiple organizations in maintenance of the node itself. Um, so far, like all blockchains are new enough that they're either paid by the coin itself or like the ICO or whatever they had or VC funding. Yeah. Um, so um, we just haven't gotten to that point yet. But, you know, this is, I think uh, there is ample precedent in the general open source space, but maybe it's the first case in, in blockchain world where we're trying this and we'll see how it goes. <laughs> so what's upcoming for you in 2020? So in the coming year, I really have four main projects that have gelled, which I'm excited about. And I mean, who knows, maybe as time goes on, I add to this, but I feel like, okay, actually, I feel like my entire life has been a, a series of like expanding the number of projects I do and then reducing the number of projects that I do. And I feel like I'm in a place of reduction in a way, but also solidification. So these four projects that I'm working on is one is the podcast one is the summit, and I actually can announce that the next Zero Knowledge Summit is going to happen on March 31st in Berlin. Please put that in your calendars if you're into it. I am doing something called the Zero Knowledge Validator, which I kind of announced or mentioned on the episode we did with Zucky a few weeks ago. Um, this validator is currently validating on networks, and the idea of it is find a way to interact with all of these networks and use these funds to champion zero knowledge research. And that will involve like workshopping and working quite closely with the, with the um, network developers to understand what's possible in terms of zero knowledge, and then acting as a bridge a little bit to the, to the zero knowledge research community. And so this is kind of an experiment. It's this idea of like a validator with purpose. And yeah, and I'm excited to see what's gonna happen with that. It's like a new space to explore. We're working with Bison Trails on that. And it's myself and uh, Will Harborn who are doing the Zero Knowledge Validator. The last thing I'm doing, and this is actually the first time I speak about this publicly, is something um, that I'm really excited about. One of our previous guests, Dan Bonet, and I are actually putting together a SNARKS MOOC, uh, M-O-O-C, this massive online open course. So he and I are going to create, we're actually in the process of creating uh, a 10-ish module snark video series that will be hopefully an amazing resource for people who want to get more into the space. Um, I'm super excited about it. Uh, it's still very much in development, but in the new year, that's something that I will be that I'll be working on. And I think that could also be like, I think of that as sort of the first of hopefully more um, pieces of content being created around zero knowledge that, that I get involved in. I'm pretty pumped. <laughs> I don't yeah. know if you can tell. It's a lot of stuff too, but it is very interesting stuff. I mean, there's, um, there's no lack of stuff to do in this space either. It's, it's kind of, it's fascinating. So yes, yeah, I think to wrap up, it's been a huge year. There's so much on the horizon. It's been a big year, a lot of work and uh even more work to come in 2020 <laughs> but it's exciting do you feel <laughs> do you feel excited or exhausted right now right now a little bit exhausted but mostly because of uh twitter drama 
Uh, yeah. <laughs> there's uh, there's this meme that uh, you know Elon Musk should buy uh, Fortnite and delete it, or Elon Musk should buy X yeah. and delete it. Elon Musk should buy Twitter and delete it for sure. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I guess that's our word to our listeners. Get off Twitter. Yeah. Do something productive for frick's sake. All right. Um, yeah. So I think just as a sign off to our listeners, some of you may have noticed, uh, we did announce this on previous episodes. We have a feedback form that I, uh, that we've put together. The idea there is we can collect ideas about future episodes. You can give us feedback about what you liked about this podcast, what you think we should do different. As mentioned, very curious to hear what you think of the new jingle. I'm really, I like it. I think it's, I think it's really nice to see some evolution. I feel like it's kind of more pro. Yeah. And it's a little more spacey. Yeah. Uh, so I think that's that's it. So then I guess do you have anything else you want to say? No. Looking forward to 2020 and uh we'll see all of you there. Yeah. And so then to our listeners, thanks for listening. Thanks for listening. Mm-hmm.